This is the very first episode of Don't Listen to This Radio Show, and it is Dog Week, and dogs are everywhere. There's one in the studio right now. Well, half a dog, half half a boy. He's going to tell you a little bit about himself now in what we like to call a personality spotlight. Please give it up for Dog Boy. I'm Dog Boy. I am the best child of science. Mr. Mr. Moriarty, Dr. Moriarty, actually, is Genesis. Who kidnapped me from a very young age? Six months old. I'm only four years old. In human years. He wanted to use my body to experiment with gene splicing. He wanted to see if he can bring back to life his dead dog muffins. Apparently, he thought my little baby body was disposable. So he used my little baby body that he stole, he kidnapped, to genetically slice splice the DNA of his dead dog. Try and make me his dog. But it backfired. Now I'm half dog, half boy. Every day I wish God would kill me. Why? Why? I'm the aftermath of some mad scientist's cum fantasy. Thing is, when he saw that it, the, the experiment failed, he kicked me out onto the streets. He said he didn't want no dog boy. He just wanted a dog. <laughs> so now I go on the streets, eating from the trash, begging for change. The people don't know if I'm a stray or a homeless person. They don't know whether to ignore me or to ignore me. Thank you so much for bringing me into this radio studio. Ah, uh, what's that? Okay, uh, the sin has just told me I can't have a half dog in the studio. I thought it would be okay if it was only half a dog. Oh, please, don't bring me back out to the streets. I'm sorry. Those are the rules. You are half a dog. I mean, if you were a full boy, I could have let you in the studio, but this is very expensive radio equipment, and you're barking everywhere. I mean, quite frankly, I maybe shouldn't have brought you in here in the first place. I'm sorry. No! 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 No!
Five hours of personality spotlight for Dog Week. That was Dog Boy. That was chilling, to say the least. I'm joined on the phone now by Greg Turkington, most better known, best known for cult comedy character Neil Hamburger. He's joining us in anticipation of his November 9th show at the Ding Dong Lounge. Thanks for joining us, Greg. Yeah, it's great to uh, to be here with you, in, in the room with you. Yes, very in the room, <laughs> not on mm-hmm. the phone. Uh, so, you've had you started you have your roots in the punk rock scene. How do you think that informed your transition into comedy as Neil Hamburger? Well, I mean, the kind of stuff that I liked, the, I mean, the old type of punk rock bands, you know, uh, before the whole thing uh, went down the toilet completely, which it did really fast. Um, yeah, those the super early punk bands just didn't really give a if the audience liked it or not, you know? And that's, I think, a good... Uh, a good attitude to have for performers, especially when you have an, an act that probably is only going to be of marginal interest to general audiences. Yeah, because you can't really please everyone, can you? No, and you shouldn't be trying, really. Exactly. Because yeah. it's it's a losing battle, as Rick Ricky Nelson documented in his song "Garden Party." Cool. Yeah, because you use that you lose that uniqueness if you're trying to chase some sort of like mainstream approval or even um uh, you know so-called underground approval i mean certainly people are pandering on all sides you know oh yeah i mean pandering in general is just you know you gotta do your sort of thing i think so i think so as ricky nelson said you gotta cue that record up garden party by ricky nelson i'm telling you Cue it up, yeah, and it uh, up. and it it's 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 basically the crash course in uh, the correct attitude for any performer to have. And uh, you know, it, it was a number one hit for him, even though it was a, a kind of a fuck you song. Cool. So when he started off doing Neil Hamburger, it was mostly just like recordings on an album. It wasn't really like a live performance. But then you did transition into doing it live how did you find like just that switch to go from um just doing this as like a recorded thing to doing this in front of like an audience it was pretty different you know because the thing with the recorded stuff is that i think i enjoyed recording the uh responses more than i enjoyed recording the jokes you know because like the responses would be multi-tracked stuff that I was doing, you know, I was doing the applause and doing the heckling and doing a lot of those sounds myself. And, uh, it was just kind of, um, fun to control. I mean, it's basically completely artificial reality where, uh, you know, it's almost like a stage play or something where I'm controlling all aspects of the, of the so-called event, even though they were faked events, you know, but with a live show, you know, um, Basically, you, you, you can't really, um, you can't control it. And uh, it, 
I mean, I wouldn't say it became more of a normal comedy show, but it's a little bit harder to put things out there that are just going to completely die on the vine, you know, for 10 or 15 minutes straight as I did, did on the record. With a show, you kind of have to keep things moving a little bit more, even though um, um, there's still, you know, the aspects of the, the failure. It's, it's, you know, it's definitely more of a, a lively sort of thing than those records. So was that like a big motivator that you wanted to sort of, here's a thing you did that had, you had so much control over and you wanted to see what would happen if you did it where there was all these variables <clears throat> to work with? No, I mean, it was just that, um, it was really just that Frenzel Rom just asked me to do these shows over, over there. And uh, I didn't, I never thought I would do live shows as Neil. I kind of thought it was fine just to have it be a recording project. But, um, you know, they were pretty persistent, and, and I was, um, at the time, I, I needed to go to Australia anyway, and I, um, you know, because my wife's Australian, and we were planning to uh, take a trip anyway, and they were like, we'll fly you out, and, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, it was like an expensive airfare, and it sounded like it would be fun, and it seemed like a low-risk kind of thing to do, to, um, to do the shows and just see see if I could do them or see how it worked out, you know? And, um, I guess I must've enjoyed it because I kept doing it. <laughs> Still here. How do you, yeah. how do you think Neil Hamburger as a character has developed over the years? Well, you know, I mean, if you're doing something for that long, you would hope that it would, um, go in different directions because otherwise it's just, going to be pretty boring you know so um you know i think i don't I, I mean i wouldn't go back and listen to all those records myself at this point maybe when i'm um older and a little more senile i will but i think that uh you know they're all kind of time capsules of whatever whatever i thought the character was at that particular time and whatever i thought would make the funniest or the best or the most obnoxious or the most annoying record or live show at that particular time. And um, probably if you take one from 15 years ago and compare it to one from now, either a show or a record or whatever, there's going to be a lot of things that don't quite sync up. But at the moment, it was it was what I felt was the, the best that I could do with it, you know? Yeah, you always want to be moving forward. You don't want to, like, yeah. stick to the same thing all the time. No, it's no, definitely artist, not. Very creative artist thing. To do. Well, you know, you I mean, so. you don't you don't want to be Blink-182. Well, you know, you wouldn't say they're creative artists, you know what I mean? They're just out there for the money. Yeah, I'm afraid that's true. I'm sorry if that if that's uh, upset some of the listeners, but... Well, I don't think anyone at this station will care or give a shit about Blink-182, so, you know, them. Yeah, alright, good. Thank you. Which uh, brings me to a lot of Neil Hamburger jokes are attacks on figures in popular culture. And how much of this is like an affectation for the character? And how much is it like channeling any genuine frustration towards pop popular culture? Uh, it's definitely a combination, you know. I mean, there's probably some, um, some targets in there that I actually like. And I'm just doing it because it fits the character but 
Um, you know, some of it is just stuff that maybe I've absorbed too much of and uh, need a chance to throw it back up. And, and this seems like a, a efficient way to do that, you know. Um, I mean, I probably... Um, <clears throat> The, the level of disdain that I would have um, on stage towards someone like uh, Steven Tyler, for instance, is, I mean, it probably reflects how I would actually feel about him, but I'm not really thinking about him or getting angry about him in my day-to-day life. Um, so uh, it's exaggerated, you know, yeah, it's but I, 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 but it's, I think it probably still reflects my basic opinion of him. Yeah, fair enough. Just maybe the, the importance <laughs> importance is over exaggerated you know mm. so you, you're coming back to melbourne in november and you're doing a show at the ding dong lounge which is more so a music venue and mm-hmm. you, you tend to play music venues more than like traditional comedy venues what do yeah. you to like play in those venues instead of comedy ones i don't like comedy venues they're horrible and I don't really like very much comedy. I think it's horrible. And, um, you know, I like music. And I, I feel like my audience, a lot of them are more, uh, uh, you know, mentally on the on the music page than on the stand-up comedy page. A lot of these, a lot of stand-up comedy is just like really annoying narcissism. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I don't know. I mean, I, I do like some comedy, but the, the comedy clubs, I mean, it's not even really about about the performer a lot of the time. It's just about just shitty people looking to, um, you know, have a night out on the town. You know, like, let's mm. do comedy tonight. I mean, it may as well be like a, a bad chain uh, restaurant or something. And, you know, like the two drink minimum and the f-ing buffalo chicken wings and just the the whole vibe, it's just so cheesy. It's, you know, is everybody, is everybody having fun? You know, you ready for our next act? Mm-hmm. It's just really condescending and gross. And I don't know, you know, my act isn't for everyone. So it's like, I hate those places, but I think those places hate me as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not pure snobbery. It's also just common sense of like, this isn't gonna, they're not going to like it and I'm not going to like them. So it's better to stay away. There's a couple comedy clubs that I do that I like, you know, mm. there's, there's a, the, the Soho theater in London. I mean, I just did nice. two weeks there. I've gone there. I think it's like the fifth time. And that's a great, great venue with a really, um, discerning crowd, you know, mm. and there's a place in, uh, Bloomingham, uh, Bloomington, uh, Bloomington, Indiana called the comedy attic that I like. And there's one in Toronto called the comedy bar. And I think that's about it. Other than that, I don't mind the the improv actually in L.A. It's a famous comedy club, but it's it's a really nice place to play. But other than that, I stick to uh, the music venues, and and that's been the case since day one. Cool, yeah. So, where do you draw the line on putting off the audience too much? I mean, do you always like relish the polarization? Is it something you're always, no? Like, no, I just like I, I'm just trying to do a show that I would find funny and and th- that's for people that maybe not that don't find a lot of things funny, but would find this funny. You know, I just kind of like trying to communicate with people that might be on the same wavelength that, uh, you know, I, I enjoy. I, I'm not trying to alienate everyone. I'm actually trying to 
tap into something for people that feel the same way and trying to reach those people and communicate directly with those people. But, you know, they're in the minority. But the thing is, you know, uh, the people that don't like this kind of thing, there's plenty of other stuff that they do like. So they're covered, you know. Mm. My crowd tend to be people that, that don't have a lot of things they like as far as comedy. And so they're glad that, that I'm there. And I, I like to make those people laugh. I'm not just out to ruin everyone's night. But the people that, that hate what I do, I'm per- perfectly fine with that and perfectly fine that they uh, walk out the door and say, that was terrible because I would probably go see their favorite act and walk out the door and say that was terrible, you know, yeah, yeah. and be just as just as mad, just as mad as they are at me. So, so yeah. um, and I and I like I like I like a variety of responses. You know, I, I like to I like it when one night everyone loves it and then the next two nights everybody hates it. You know, it's just interesting mm. to see uh, to see what happens. So alienation is really just like. It's collateral damage. Well, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. I think it's fun when it's like that sometimes, but you wouldn't want that just the to be the shtick because then it just becomes another shtick, and I'm more interested in just seeing what happens, you know? I mean, you're often labeled as, like, an anti-comedian doing anti-comedy. Is that a term you agree with? I mean, what are your thoughts on it? I think it's stupid. I mean, people are laughing. People enjoy the show, you know? Um, to me, you know, uh, I don't know, some of these movies that come out that are comedy movies are anti-comedy. You go on the airplane and, you know, if you take a flight and turn to the comedy channel of movies or whatever, and you watch a few of those, that's the real anti-comedy, mm. you know, yeah. Judd, Judd Apatow movies are anti-comedy mm. cause I'm not, not laughing ever at those movies, you know, and those aren't, those aren't even the worst ones. I mean, I don't know. Some people, some people like it, some don't. I mean, it's definitely a different route to the laughs than, um, certain other comedians where it's maybe more of an obvious way that they set the jokes up. Um, but I I don't think I have any fewer laughs at a lot of shows than a lot of those guys do. So, Yeah, yeah. anti-comedy just feels like, yeah, an intellectually lazy way of just people trying to box in something that they don't understand because it's not as traditional as some other stuff. Oh, it must be anti-comedy because it's not abiding by what I think are the rules of comedy. Yeah, and exactly. And, And, you know, the whole, like, oh, you know, it's all intentionally bad. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not... It's not quite like that because for every, you know, so-called bad joke that I have, I probably discarded 50 that didn't quite have the right tone or the right impact, you know, that just, they just, maybe they were just bad. So, I mean, if you just want bad jokes, you just buy a a joke book at the thrift store Mm. of old jokes and, you know, buy 101 pickle jokes, which is a book that I've seen and you go through that and. You know, who they're needs, not funny. Who needs that many pickle <laughs> jokes? What's that? Who needs who needs that many pickle jokes, really? I don't know, but there, the book is out there. I don't even want one pickle joke. What? No, you really book, don't. Book you really don't. Doing it out there. 
it's there's a there's a another one that people have given me at shows. It's like I don't know if it's a 101 or 1001, um, but it's hamburger jokes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some of them are actually pickle jokes that are in the pickle joke book as well, because they're jokes about pickles on hamburgers. So there's some crossover there, you know. Hmm. So Vanille Hamburger character made the transition to film in 2015's Entertainment by director Rick Alverson. How did that come about and how do you feel about it looking back at it? There. Yeah, you know, he just suggested that we do it, and I didn't think it would ever happen. And then he made it happen. You know, um, I, I I loved it because it was exactly as we discussed. You know, it's not a comedy; it's it's more of a sad sack drama. And that's that was always the subtext for Neil Hamburger is that like you've got the show, which might have the jokes, but you're kind of having to fill in the blanks as to what the offstage life is like, you know, and that was always left to the imagination and not, not necessarily, um, um, portrayed explicitly. So this was a chance to portray it explicitly. And, and we did, you know, when mm. it came out, I was, I was surprised that it got made, but it, it did. And it was, um, it came out with a tone that, that we envisioned, which I realize is not the tone that most people wanted. But, uh, you know, I'm happy with it. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of folks were, too. But there's some people that wanted a comedy, you know. Yeah, they probably weren't exp- envisioning it, it what you and always envisioned it as. And you're not, yeah. you're not always going to please everyone, so. Well, I mean, it's an, art, it's an art film, and I like those kind of films, you know. Like, especially, like, late 60s, early 70s, there's a certain type of film like Tulane Blacktop is one that Rick and I both really loved that was one that we referenced a lot um, there's a movie with Raquel Welch called Kansas City Bomber that I was really influenced by it's just about um, roller derby girls <clears throat> and sort of like they're working this shitty circuit playing these tiny towns doing these roller derby matches and it's just it's just terrible. It's just a bummer. You know, they're not making much money and not many people are going and just almost like almost feels like a documentary about this subculture that I knew nothing about. But it's so um, detailed and, and just so grim. And I really liked that one. I thought that was um, that was inspirational to me. I, I, don't, I don't think Rick ever saw it. I kept I kept begging him to watch it and describing it to him. But um Maybe show him this interview. Anyway. Show him this interview, and maybe he will actually get onto it. I mean, it's too late now. He doesn't need to. But there was an Australian film. It's called something like "Wake and Fear" or "Sleep and Fear," something from the early '70s that he was trying to get me to watch for the same reason. It was like really on his mind, you know. And and I never watched it, so we're even. <laughs> You're also known for your online web series with Tim Heidecker on cinema and its Decca spin-off. How do you find like working on those in comparison to doing like your own stuff? I mean, it's it is my own stuff. So if it's just as fun, you know, cuz we're just we're just improvising the stuff for the most part on that and we get together and write out the the plots for on cinema seasons and then we just go in and and shoot a bunch of episodes at once and kind of wing it, you know, and it's it's, it's really fun. 
with the Decker stuff, you know, that's obviously more written and, and all that. But Adult Swim is really good about letting us do it exactly how we want. And we've got a great, great team in place of people that get where we're coming from that, that make it happen, you know, because it's obviously a much bigger production than the usual stuff that I do. Um, so, yeah, it's great. It's a dream. It's a dream, complete dream job. Cool. Uh so, lastly, thanks for this interview. Uh, sure, sure. You've been doing Neil Hamburger for over 20 years now. What do you see as like the future for the character moving forward? Are you gonna? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of weird because I feel like that film, in a way, was. I mean, I don't know where you really go from that. You know, that's kind of the. Um, I mean, what what bigger goal really would there be? You know, than to get something like that made. So, I think when that was first when that was finished i almost thought like maybe i'll quit doing this you know because like it's it's all there you know but um you know i don't know it's it's like people enjoy the show and i enjoy doing it so at this point it's almost like a a souvenir of the of the character <laughs> you know what i mean mm. um and i mean i try to still take it in different directions and try to um keep things fresh you know mm. but um I don't think I have the, the any sort of long-term goal other than to just um, hopefully keep it um, interesting for for me and for audiences. And you know, I, I don't do as many shows as I used to do. I, I definitely scaled back the, the touring because um, yeah, it seems a little pointless to do as deep a tour as I used to do at this point. You know. But, I mean, I think as long as I enjoy it, as long as the audiences are enjoying it, as long as it's, you know, as long as there's interest, uh, I don't see any reason not to do it. Cool. I mean, Kiss is still doing their crap, right? Oh, they yeah. still do their fucking characters yeah, night after night, long after, the, long after they've made their point. Yeah. Was there ever a point, though, beyond let's... No, I mean, I think up. the point was to make money and so i guess i guess there there's a consistency there because <laughs> they're, they're still doing it still raking it in well thanks so much greg uh you can catch catch neil hamburger november 9th at the ding dong lounge as part of his australian shows once again thank you so much greg for being on the show you bet thank you Uh, hey, it's me. I'm just, just, uh, just leaving you a message right now. If you get it and can tell me what the deal is with the heat, what's what's currently going on right now. If you um, just imagine right now that this audio in particular is uh, it's all in black and white. Just imagine that right now, that that it's all in black and white. Um. So, um, what's going on? Well, I'll tell you more, but I'm just worried. Uh, the police have this, uh, have this phone tapped. The, uh, the sin, the sin police. 
the uh, Student Youth Network Police. Um, currently just hiding out in the, uh, the Melbourne comedy scene as Ross Purdy. Not, not Ross Purdy. I'm, uh, I'm Matthew Allen as Ross Purdy. Okay, oh, okay, I've already, I've already revealed too much. Um, um, she could just get back to me. She could just pay the, just to pay, pay the toll. Pay, pay the, my toll for me. And, um, call me back. Call me back on this, on this, uh, on this phone number. You, you should know the number. Um. Uh, I was thinking the other day what you were telling me about, like, what would I do if I had a time machine? Oh, and then I got on your case about, well, if you just want to ask about what regrets I have, just ask me about regrets, you know, don't bring in the, this whole, this whole idea of a, of a time machine into it. Uh... That was, um, I guess one way of deflecting it, but I guess, I guess one thing I will go back and change is how I left things at sin. Um, it's reaching the end of, I guess, my time there anyway, and I felt like I wasn't getting noticed and getting much attention, and I guess I reacted pretty badly to that when I was told wouldn't uh, get my show renewed. So I reacted badly on air and uh, had to be called in and. I, I don't know if there was anything I, I regret is, is uh, it's probably bad. Wasn't all bad times though. It wasn't all bad times. I got to, you know, I got to do a, a dog boy bit. Got to got to do a dog boy bit, and um, I uh, I got to interview. I got to interview uh, Neil Hamburger. Well, yeah, Greg Turkington, out of character, as uh, Neil Hamburger. Uh, again, I've probably said too much. Um, just, uh, it's currently the Melbourne comedy scene. I'm currently just hiding out, doing Ross Purdy destroys comedy. Uh, just ring me when you get when you get this message. All right.